Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are reviewing The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, indispensable personality profiles that reveal how to make your life better and other people's lives better too. Amazing, mate. Gretchen Rubin wrote The Happiness Project. It was her first runaway success. She sold over 3 million books. And this is a bit of a personality framework that she's set up. And it was in answer to the question. She had a friend who said, you know, I really want to start running again. But, you know, I just can't seem to do it. When I was in high school, when I was on the track team, when I had a coach and a team, I used to run every single day. But now when it's just me, I can't seem to make myself go running. And so this book was effectively a a search for the answer to those questions as to why we do or don't do things. She found that people do or don't do things based on their personality profiles in what came this book, The Four Tendencies. So the idea is if you know yourself better and your tendency, then you can actually set up the the process uh, for you to have success in whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, so there's these four tendencies. One of them is going to stick out to you and we hope that throughout this episode, you can get a bit of a taste as to which uh, tendency you are and you can listen out for some advice around that. But also then you can start to recognize other people, what tendency they are and then how you can best manage those other people. So we've got, she set up with a, a bit of a test about, you know, what about New Year's resolutions? You know, she asked people, what do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Some people will set it, they love New Year's resolutions and they stick to it. Some people will say, uh, if I want to make a change, I'll do it. I don't have to wait until this arbitrary date of the 1st of January. Some will say, look, I've given up making New Year's resolutions because I never stick to them. And Gretchen Rubin's got a, a quiz online you can do to find out which one you are if it doesn't stick out to you in this episode. But what she realizes was that all of those responses, what it boiled down to was outer expectations versus inner expectations. And will we act or not act based on uh, is somebody outside of us placing an expectation on us, like perhaps meeting a work deadline or joining you know, a team sport? Or is it based on inner expectations, like something that we want to do for ourselves, like sticking to a new diet? That's it. So outer expectations, are you doing the things that other people expect from you and inner expectations being the other way around, your own beliefs about what you should do, are you following what's really in your heart and what you should be doing based on your own beliefs? So because you've got the two different axes, it can be broken up into four different categories of person. So first, you've got the upholder. And this meets both outer and inner expectations. You're doing the shit that you want to do for yourself, but you're doing all the shit that's expected from you. Next, you've got questioners. So they question all expectations. So they might meet an expectation externally only if they believe internally it's justified. So they believe in doing their own shit that they want to do and at times what other people want them to do. Next, you've got obligers. So they respond readily to the outer expectations, doing all the other the things that other people want them to do, but they rarely meet the internal expectations. And then finally, we've got the rebels, and they don't give a fuck about internal expectations or external expectations. They just reject everything. Yeah, so as we sort of explain each one of these, try to work out what you are and then how you can best uh, play these to your advantage set up systems or environments around you that will best work with your personality and it's important to realize that it's not just like uh 
I, I don't want to do the dishes, so I'm a rebel. It's not the behavior. It's not so much the things that you do or don't do. It's really the reasons behind why you do or don't do them. Like say, for example, a rebel and a questioner might both reject an outer expectation, but the reasons are very different. For a questioner, they might say, I, I don't want to do this because it doesn't make sense or I don't understand why I should do it. So they're questioning, they're rejecting it because they haven't got the correct information or they haven't been persuaded to do it. Whereas a rebel will say, I don't want to do this because I don't like being controlled and I don't want you to tell me what to do. So in both circumstances, they're rejecting the outer expectations, but the important thing to look at is the reasons why they didn't act. So as you said throughout this episode, it's going to be important for you to understand who you are. And if we bring it back to the idea of New Year's resolutions, say when it comes to these at the start of the year, how to react to this. So first of all, if you're an upholder, you're probably most likely to quite easily hang on to your New Year's resolutions because it's an expectation you want to keep. Rebels, you dislike them. You think that is pointless. Questioners will make New Year's resolutions only when they feel like changing and they don't really wait for the arbitrary date. And then obligers, they've given up because they've never managed to keep them in the past. So it's important to note that there's no like best or worst tendencies. It's not that one is necessarily better than the other. And you can't really change your tendency. It's sort of, she says, it's sort of ingrained. It's something that you're effectively born with that you can't really change. So there's no one that's better than the other. But she says that the happiest, healthiest, most productive people... They're not from a specific tendency, but they're the ones who have figured out which tendency they are and they've worked out how to harness the strengths, counteract the weaknesses, and they've built lives that work best for them. Bang, bang. So the first tendency we're going to be talking about and categorize and stereotype is the upholder. And they've got this internal belief with uh, you know quotes like, discipline is my freedom. And they will do what's right even when people call me uptight. So, you know, you're waking waking up at 6 a.m. to go to the gym every morning, no problem because it's an expectation you have internally. Or if the boss gives you a report, no matter what, you're going to meet the deadline because you're, you're going to meet this outer expectation also. Exactly, man. So the upholders are the ones that readily meet both inner and outer expectations. They view these both as equally important, what other people expect of them as well as what they expect of themselves. And there's a a few strengths and weaknesses that go with this, of course. One big strength is that because they readily meet these expectations, they're generally self-directed. They don't really have trouble hitting deadlines. They keep appointments. They don't miss meetings. They manage tasks pretty well. And generally, they don't depend on any supervision or management or oversight or reminders or penalties. Once they know what's expected of them, they generally get to get through and do it. That's it. But obviously on the flip side, there's some negatives to this, right? If you just get given a rule book and because you're an upholder, you're just going to blindly follow the rules no matter what, right? So there are, there are some weaknesses that go with this because they aren't don't have the ability to question the outer expectations. They just, just, just go with it, right? So you might just end up being a fearless campaigner for justice who blindly just enforces the rules even though when the rules are bad. So, you know, this type of person might be the snitch in the school <laughs> yeah. grounds. Snitches get stitches. I'm guessing they were SS troops in the times of Hitler. <laughs> 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 Which is true. Okay. They yeah. would have. Certainly, man. Maybe that's a bit up. <laughs> <laughs> bit too deep for the upholders out there. Yeah, that's uh, it. They're the boss who rejects a report because it's an hour late. You know, they're, they're not questioning the rules. They're just going with it yeah and also just when it comes to like interpersonal relations because they know that they don't have trouble meeting deadlines they follow the rules they can pretty 
often become impatient or even disdainful when other people reject expectations. If someone's late to a meeting or they miss a deadline or they don't follow the rules, they can generally look down upon those people because they don't understand why they can't meet these expectations the same way that they do. So they, yeah, they get pissed off when others can't meet the expectations that are upheld by the upholders, right? Yeah. So they find it extremely difficult to delegate for this reason because they think everyone else or a lot of people won't be able to follow it. They're better off just taking the work on themselves, mm. leading them a lot of the time to perhaps end up being overworked. From a practical point of view, she's got some advice in the book. Uh, one area is how to choose a career if you're an upholder. So, because you're so driven and you can meet expectations quite easily, inner and outer, you are going to be very good at being self-reliant and autonomous as a worker. So, you're very good at starting a business, solo consulting and freelancing and so forth because you don't need someone else there to tell you what to do because you'll do it anyway. Yeah. And by the same token, they they like to thrive in situations where the rules and the objectives are pretty clear because they really get a lot of satisfaction from fulfilling expectations. One practical thing you need to be careful of is what she calls upholder tightening. And because like because you readily meet all of these expectations, things can just pile up and pile up and pile up. If you've got too many expectations of yourself and you're going to uphold them and then your boss is piling on their expectations, your family's piling on their expectations, because you want to meet everything, you tend to tighten up and get overloaded by all of these different things. And because you are an upholder, you can't break the rules, you can't miss the deadlines, you can find yourself really overwhelmed by all the different things that you need to do. So it's important to, if you are an upholder who's feeling a bit of tightening, take a bit of a breath, step step back a little bit and try to reassess some of those expectations and work out which ones are the most important rather than just readily meeting all of the expectations. Sounds like a really useful exercise for the upholder is perhaps you know, seven habits of highly effective people. Going into the quadrant two exercises mm. where you actually get in the helicopter away from the jungle where you would actually, rather than just climbing the ladder blindly and efficiently, you might actually take a step back off the ladder and choose what what is the best ladder for you to nice actually one. start climbing in the first place. I like that. That's very good, man. And that's the upholder. The next one is the questioner. And so, one of the things for a questioner is, look, I'll comply if you convince me why. So, the questioner meets only their inner expectations. Generally, they don't meet outer expectations. But the way they do that is if they feel as if an outer expectation is justified and fair enough, they turn that into an inner expectation. So, internally, and this is just, a, I think me and you both are probably heavily in this category. So, you've got a deep commitment to logic, information, and efficiency. So, when you have an external expectation coming, you'd question, why the hell do I actually need to do this? And you have to go around looking for some facts and reasons to go with this expectation. If you can't find them, then you probably won't meet this outer expectation. Yeah. One, one good example from the book is like you, you're often asking yourself, what needs to be done today and why? And say there's a, a report and your boss says, this report is due Monday, but you know that they don't read this report until the Wednesday morning meeting. So, for a questioner, rather than just blindly following the expectation that it's due Monday, they'll often find a way to rationalize, oh, well, no one's going to read it till Wednesday. So, it's fine if I hand it in on Tuesday instead of Monday. So, that's a, a questioner's way of rationalizing based on the information, making their own judgments and deciding on their own inner expectations rather than blindly following the outer expectations just because that's what the rule is. One area where this has actually hurt me in the past being in this category is 
I was out for dinner with a few people from work and one of their wives who's a, a lot older than me uh, was at work, not too too much older, she's listening. <laughs> but anyway, she was, I was walking to the door first and one of the common external expectations is that you open the door for, for women when, they, when you're out for dinner. It's a really polite thing to do. But back then, I was probably of the thought that I question this expectation and I don't really do it. I feel like it's more efficient to open the door and for me to just go through first rather than open the door and wait for someone else because I just don't understand this external expectation. And I did notice as soon as I went and walked through the door first, she treated me differently and mm. thought I was a very rude person. So um, since that's happened, I've <laughs> opened the door You've for met everyone. The other <laughs> because there is some logic behind yeah. the reasoning. Yeah. But that's really the thought process of this question of type. Yeah, I think there is. And I've, I've probably internalized that expectation. I think it's uh, a good thing to do. And I'll generally wait in the lift. The only thing that pisses me off is when people, if they're like, if they're on their phones and they're not paying attention, they don't realize when the door's opening, then I'm like, oh, I'm fucking going first if you're not going to pay attention and go. Mm. So, <laughs> I guess that's uh, a good segue into the weaknesses of, of questioners, right? So, you can um, question customs when there's probably a good reason mm. for it and you with your own life experience to date, uh, you probably should just meet some external expectations, just trusting that they're for a reason and just questioning everything can leave you unstuck like me being a rude bastard at times. <laughs> they say it's, it is important to have questioners within a within a business because they do challenge the status quo and they ask, why are we doing this? Is there a reason for doing this? They, if someone says, oh, I'm the boss, so you have to, or if someone says, this is why we've always done it, questioners won't accept that. And sometimes it, it is a good thing in terms of perhaps innovation sort of stuff, but sometimes it is a bad thing. If the boss sees this constant questioning as you're challenging their authority or it's some kind of insubordination or you're trying to wrestle the power away from the boss or the, you, the boss thinks that you think that the boss is stupid for doing it this way, there's sometimes where the, the questioning traits can really come unstuck. Another issue that us questioners can have at times is facing the analysis paralysis. So you're too busy just asking questions about things and rather than just getting into the action and actually just doing it. Yeah, if you need too much information and justification before you get started, you can get trapped into that constantly searching for more reasons and better information and a wider range of sources. So some practical takeaways from from all of this. If you're listening and you understand that someone else is a questioner, rather than being offended when they ask questions to you, uh, and poking holes through your arguments and, and questioning things. Just understand that's just in their nature and it's just part of who they are. They're not trying to tear you down. Yeah, and also as a questioner, if you you might often look down on people who are just blindly following the herd and doing what's always been done. It's probably not the right way to go about it just to say, oh, you're such a sheep for doing what everybody else is doing, but you can just question and say, oh, why are you doing it this way rather than, rather than attacking them. And the next uh, tendency is the obliger and the obliger says you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me because the obliger will meet outer expectations they'll do what other people expect of them but they'll often struggle to meet their own inner expectations mm, so it's got to be a negative connotation I think on this this term compared <laughs> to the others do you agree uh, not so much Okay, <laughs> but I don't think. It, anyway, what I was getting out there, I don't. I, mean, I don't think it should. The, so. I think it's because it's the opposite to us. We're the we're the direct opposite. <laughs> but I don't think it should be. So obliges isn't necessarily a bad thing. These 
are the people who are always giving, 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 mm. meeting external expectations and really not taking enough time out of the day to look after themselves. So they're, they're huge. They're the big givers in the world, right? Mm. A lot of the time. Definitely, man. And like on one hand, it is a strength because, you know, the boss will see this person as always meeting the deadlines. They're the one who'll probably they'll volunteer to do the extra project or they'll go out of their way to help others. So they're really good in that regard. But the downside of that is that if someone sniffs, especially a rebel or a questioner sniffs out that the obliger will just do everything, they can often take advantage of the obliger. Mm, yeah, this takes me... I remember being at a university working with a... A, an obliger and mate she was incredible she yeah. she worked 14 hours straight <laughs> had a had an all-nighter just to meet the group's um goal of getting the report done on time and she just uh, hit it with flying colors so amazing and you made the most of that obliger. i was probably the rebel <laughs> <laughs> putting on the pushing her expectations a bit too far that's I like okay. it. and so because obligers they struggle with meeting their own inner expectations what gretchen says is the way to obviously do the things that you still want to do is you need to build some kind of system or environment for external accountability. Mm. So because you, you know, if you want to start a new diet or say if you, if you want to go to the gym and you really want to do it for yourself but you really as an obliger struggle to meet that, you need to have some, some kind of outer accountability where it becomes an outer expectations which you love meeting. So maybe it's you uh, decide to join a gym with your friend and you guys are going to go work out together or maybe you join a, a team sport or perhaps you, sign, you, you, know, you pay a month in advance so you've already financially committed to it so you've got this expectation that you've already paid for it and it's expected that you still go to it. If you're listening right now and you see or if you know someone else is an obliger who can't meet, for example, New Year's resolutions, this is something you can really offer a value. So next time they say, I want to do this, you can perhaps keep them accountable knowing that this is something that can really help them achieve their goals. Yeah, definitely. Like Gretchen talks about accountability partners, so having one person or accountability groups like you know, if you join Alcoholics Anonymous or Weight Watchers or you join a study group or you join a book club, these are great ways that you can set up this system or this environment of outer accountability. So some people fit into the more niche category of the, the idea of the uh, obliger rebellions, he says. So if you're someone who is an obliger and someone keeps putting these expectations on you um, and they're going too hard, too hard, these wild expectations, eventually you're going to snap mm. and probably go toward the rebellion end of the spectrum and say, no, uh, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, it might be a, a wild divorce. It might be a, you quit your job or something like that when it just hits this critical breaking point. Yeah, she says it because people can, you know, take advantage of the obliger and they'll often do whatever they're asked to do. They'll do it up to a point. And that point is obviously, as I say, on the extreme end, it could be a divorce, it could be quitting a job, something so extreme that they think, you know, I've, I've had enough, I've, I'm not doing this anymore. Or it could be, she talked about a few funny things like say, you sit in your car for 10 minutes, so you're intentionally late to work or you get an email and you think, I'm going to wait a day before I apply. So just these smaller rebellion things that you can do. So if you are an obliger, you need to be careful if you feel this rebellion brewing up inside of you. And if you're a boss, you really need to manage if you've got an obliger. Don't keep piling the work on the obliger because you know mm. they're going to do it. Spread it more evenly across the team. So the fourth tendency in the book is the rebel. 
and a rebel might say something like, you can't make me and neither can I. You know, they're just, as the name suggests, a rebel. You're not meeting out of expectations what people expect of you. But at the same time, you're not even meeting your inner expectations. You're just, <laughs> just fucking flipping the can, just, just flipping everything over just for the sake of flipping it over. Yeah, the rebel doesn't like to feel trapped or under somebody else's control, or they don't feel like they have to do anything. They do things because they want to do them. They do them in their own way, on their own time. If somebody tells them to do it, they resist. And if they put too much pressure on themselves to do it, they'll resist as well. So the rebels, when they're doing something what they want, then they can actually drive themselves pretty hard. And a lot Mm. of entrepreneurs can fit into this category. I remember if you think of like uh, a Steve Jobs or something like that in movie when he was like a, at first an employee he just questioned everybody cracked the shits absolute rebel went out and then really changed the status quo about things because he had this energy everything made sense and then he and then he got things uh changed in a big way another positive of the rebel is because they love defying other people's expectations they can use it as a bit of fuel like say if you know uh it's nearly impossible to quit smoking or someone says oh you're not smart enough to to go to college they're going to use that as fuel to think, oh, I'm mm. going to prove you wrong. So they can work really hard if they feel like there's some kind of element of, oh, I'll show you I can do it, that sort of stuff. They can use that to their advantage and use it to work really hard just to show that you know they're not controlled by this other person and what they think. A bit of Machiavelli here for you, mate. If you actually, there's something you can do to rebels to make them do something. You know, when they're when you want them to do something else, like kind of a dare, you kind of just push him in by, oh, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Wouldn't do it. <laughs> Bit of reverse psychology Bit as reverse well. reverse psychology. <laughs> and then they're thinking, I'll prove you wrong and then they end up doing it. Yeah, I love Problem it. Problem solved. One, um, another strength is obviously that they do defy these customs and, and conventions. So similar to the question, they don't just cop things and do things for the sake of doing them. But a weakness of that is that often if, you know, there are some times where you just have to do something. <laughs> Sometimes there are deadlines and it's tough for a, a rebel to just cop it. So, as you would imagine, one of the important things to know is if you're working with a rebel and especially if you're a boss and one of your employees is a rebel, you can't boss them around. You Mm. need to let them choose to do the work and choose to do things based on their own reasons that they have. Mate, there's some real influence power stuff coming up here which I really frothed on as you would know but there was a... If you can somehow make the rebel feel like it's their idea, they're probably going to do it. If you tell them to do it, they're not going to do it. So, you need to try and work out how can you make it their idea. And so, there's one um, good framework that she gives here. So, you need to give a request or frame what you want them to do in the sequence of information, consequences, choice. So, you need to give them the information they need to make an informed decision. You need to highlight the consequences or the outcomes of the various actions and then give them an honest choice. You can't like pretend that you're giving them a choice and then hover over them. They have to make the choice for themselves. So, one example would be say a parent to a rebel kid. Look, it's a nice sunny day outside but that means you can get sunburnt. So, that's like the information and the consequences is if you get sunburnt, then it's going to hurt and you can't go outside anymore. So, that was the information, then the consequences and then the choice is, would you like to put on sunscreen or would you like to put on a hat and a long sleeve shirt? And whatever their choice is, don't try and funnel them into the choice that you want them to make. You need to allow them to truly make the choice for themselves. So, information, consequences, choice. So, as a rebel, you're most likely to fulfill the actions that really meets your self-identity or your self-opinion, so to speak. So, you're probably going to install a habit and be extremely good at it if you understand that it's part of your personality that, that you perceive yourself as. 
Yeah, if you think that uh, I have to go to the gym three times a week, it feels like an expectation. You're not going to do it. But if you think I'm a healthy person and it's part of your identity, you know that a healthy person goes to the gym. So, you're not going to resist it as strongly if it's part of your identity. So, that's the four personality framework, right? It's uh, it's a good one. There's a whole bunch of different frameworks you can get from different books, but I, I, I really like this one. Even though you're stereotyping people, there's a lot of power in putting people in these stereotypes and you can actually act differently based on who they are but also knowing yourself being that little bit self-aware about who you are you can actually set up some kind of framework and systems in yourself to give yourself the best possible outcomes and minimize the weaknesses that you inevitably have yeah hopefully you've been able to identify what you are and then what you can do to improve your outcomes as a questioner i was initially a bit sus on this uh on this concept of having you know that everyone falls into these four groups obviously I was questioning it a bit but I think it's pretty solid man I think it's what she says is people can pretty readily identify what they fall into and if it's something that really connects with you then I think it's definitely worth going and reading a little bit more about and trying to set up some systems around yourself to help you in whichever of the four tendencies you are so if this book resonated with you or you want to buy it for someone else you can support our podcast by using our link that we have at the bottom of each show description to buy your books in future. It doesn't cost you any more and we're going to take a little bit of a cut from what Book Depository take. Yeah, we use Book Depository exclusively because it's free worldwide shipping and if we do it this way, we get a, a little 5% cut. But more importantly, we, can, we can't see who's buying what but we can see what books people are buying and it's pretty cool for us to see a lot of people bought laws of human nature some people bought you know anything you want the power of now start with why but there's also a lot of books that you can click the link and buy any book you want so um, someone's bought a how to speak spanish textbook someone must be a soccer coach because there's um, coaching psychological skills in youth footballers uh, somebody bought a whole bunch of uh, utilitarian philosophy books which was cool to see as well and a few textbooks as well like a law textbook so if you use any of the links in the episodes or on the website we can uh, see what books you guys are most interested in which is cool to see and we get a small little slice as well 